Lila. Oh, I have missed you so, so much. Welcome back, everybody. This is Art Crush. I'm Svea Vikander. I'm Josephine Burdens. And together we take you into the artist studios of the Bay Area. Um, actually, that's what we used to do in our old show. This is our new show. Celebration time. Come on. Do, 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 how it goes. Do, 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 do. It's not how it goes. No. no. Celebration time. Come no. on. No. It's celebrate good times. Come on. Do, do, do. Celebrate. Have a good time. Come on. Oh, really? Celebration. Let's celebrate. It's all right. Wow, I know that song really well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I made my own version. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so podcast is really exciting. Very keen for you to look up the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, listen, review, rate, tell your friends, tell your pets, tell your plants. Um, Josephine, who do we have a crush on this week? This week we have a crush on the Egyptian artist who lives in Oakland. Mariam Kwesni. Tell me more. So Mariam moved from Egypt to Oakland a few years ago. Besides being an artist, she's a mom of two small children. And Mariam makes these beautiful drawings about motherhood. Exciting, right? Yeah. yeah. They're absolutely beautiful. If you want to go ahead and develop your crush on Mariam, you can follow her on Instagram. So her name is Mariam Kwesni. I think we should just go ahead and see what Mariam has to tell us. Right. I wish we could go to Cairo, but she lives in Oakland now. So yeah. let's head over to Oakland. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, I'm Mariam Kwesni. I call myself an artist now. Semi-confidently, <laughs> I'm helping mothers celebrate uh, their story through art. This looks nice. Wow, look at this like ravine back here. Mm. Oh. Mariam Kwesni lives in an apartment complex in the Grand Lake neighborhood of Oakland with her husband and their two small children. We were early when we left to get to Miriam's apartment. We actually got there early. The parking was nowhere to be found. Our parking gods having abandoned us. You could even us. like look back and like apologize or something. <laughs> right? And then we got stuck behind a delivery van. Like right now we're being patient, but like you're like you still apologize for blocking yeah. the freaking road. Hey man. Hey, man. I want your apology. I'm not mad, but I want an apology. (laughs) (laughs) We ended up circling her neighborhood for 15 minutes before parking at the bottom of a very high hill. Anyway, we can walk. We're European. We're Europeans. We walk. We're Europeans. If we had gone directly to Miriam's apartment, we would have been almost on time, but we had a Google map problem. You know what? We've actually, we missed our... Oh, really? Yeah. Basically, I walked us too far in the wrong direction. Oh, look at this. We did stumble upon a pay-what-you-can-farm stand under the freeway, though. Feral Heart Farm, certified organic. Pay what you can. You just put the money into the little lockbox. Because this is Oakland. This is so cute. We walk up a steep flight of stairs up the back of a hill and finally, finally make it. Okay, number six. Ten minutes late to Miriam's front gate. Hello? Hi, it's Svea. 
We walk up an open stairwell to the second floor. A long balcony reaches past the other apartment doors. Mariam is standing in front of hers. Hello, baby. Hey. This Hi. is Josephine. Hi, Hi Josephine. I'm Josephine. Nice Hi. to meet you. Hello. Please come in. Thank you. Thank you. I have a guest today. Oh, hey. <laughs> Miriam's husband is sitting at a desk facing the wall immediately opposite the entry of their small two-bedroom apartment. I'm His name is Matas. He works in the nonprofit sector here, but in Egypt, he was a comedian. <laughs> Can I put my this shoes here? Okay, okay. Oh my god, I love your place. Thank you. Oh, it's so cute. Their place is brightly colored with art on the walls. It's not new, but it's open concept with a beautiful newly renovated kitchen on the right. But it's cute and tiny and convenient because everything yeah. is like within... Totally, yeah, totally. You yeah. see an accident happening, you're like... Yeah. <laughs> they have a sliding glass door onto a very small cinder block lined patio. You can hear the freeway nearby. Look, Josephine. Oh, <laughs> this is great. Mariam's painted the walls of the yard space bright turquoise and it reflects a bluish light into the small living quarters. She's also gathered wood chips from the Berkeley City Yard and created a playground-like space for her kids. I try to make it convenient and accessible, but they rarely come and play here. Mariam offers us some refreshments. Can yeah. I offer you some snacks? Uh, I, I can make you... Um, you. I'm okay. Thank you. Dandelion tea, which is like this really nice... That sounds good. And it is so... Good. These are my two favorite. The turmeric one and the caramel nut. Oh, and they're caramel nice with nuts cream, sounds so good. Just, if you don't do dairy, they won't be nice. The lactose-induced indigestion, totally worth it. Yeah, for a while when I wasn't making anything, it was the only outlet I had to like decorate the house and like, tweak and tinker and play. So that's why it's that every corner has something. Yeah. <laughs> really she shows us the small corner where she does her drawings and paintings. And this is where I work. Everything is very compressed and efficient, and every every little corner has been utilized. There's a bright desk lamp, pegboard almost all the way up the wall, and shelves above your head. So as soon as you come into the house, there's a wall. On the left side, I have a pegboard wall. It has all our things from glue, staples, yarn, tape, everything you can possibly use to make something, drill some uh, panels with drawings, <laughs> envelopes, shoe rack sewing stuff, <laughs> you know, books. And in the front, you see shelves, has lots of storage, books, paper, scraps, photos of us, and printer, and my desk, and all the paints, and my work. Lots of light. One of the desk legs is covered in baby photos. Well, we, we have all the photos here for Taha, because when Kuka, when Karima, our youngest daughter was born, he felt really left out. So we had to like show him that he was here first. He's very much loved and all the people that love him, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles. So it's only about him now, which is has to change soon because she's starting to understand what's going on. <laughs> There's a laptop stand on Miriam's desk, which she has angled so that it can be a height-adjustable easel. Oh. I just got that because I was hunching over so much yeah, and hurting my yeah. back, so this just raises up the, the drawing. It's kind of like an easel for the desk. Artists take note. This is a great idea. And do you sit on this chair? Like yeah, this just happened because we have that chair. It wasn't really intentional. I like it because it's big enough for my bum. 
<laughs> so I can sit here for longer. <laughs> I, I like working from home. I wouldn't do a studio ever because I, I would have to replicate everything in the studio. And I don't want to do that. And I, I work at night while the kids are sleeping. So it's really convenient for me to have this workspace be at home. I spy a quote written on a card and stuck above Miriam's desk. A quote? Inspirational. Oh, yeah. Thing. I am enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's been a journey to get to here. I just I've like struggled struggled with making art for the past ten plus years because I just didn't I didn't see many people that looked like me who were artists and I didn't see people who were normal as an art, normal artists that weren't like eccentric and depressives and like I'm just a normal person <laughs> who like you know um, from Egypt <laughs> you know. We set up in Miriam's child's room. We drape a blanket over the bed's wooden frame. It's a pink blanket. And as we huddle inside, it's like the three of us are preschoolers in our own homemade fort. No boys allowed. I uh, studied fine arts to begin with at American University of Cairo. And then I transferred after two years after finishing all my major requirements. Went to Pratt Institute in New York and studied interior design. After that, I went back to Egypt, worked for a year, year and a half in interior design stuff and got my soul sucked out of me. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was working on, I, I was writing poetry, even though I don't write any poetry now. And I wouldn't even consider it poetry, but just writing stories that were really important for me to share. And I didn't find an outlet in Egypt at the time. So I just decided to start an open mic and had my first open mic in 2009. That was pre-revolution, Egyptian revolution. And it just spiraled out of there and we became the biggest traveling open, open mic event in Egypt. It's illegal to have groups of people come together in Egypt. Like you can't do that. We did that anyway in cafes and we somehow went under the radar. And lots of people like found their voice through this movement. It was called Mashra Marih, which means the Mars Project. It's one of these things that kind of took off even beyond my power, beyond my ability. Like I'm not a very charismatic person, but somehow, and I'm very shy, somehow I was emceeing these events in front of hundreds and hundreds of people that I didn't know. And we've had hundreds of open mics all over. And it's, it, was, it was amazing because we didn't even have much of an underground music and art movement in Egypt, but it, it kind of took off from there. So before the revolution, people were more uh, metaphorical about what they wanted to say. Things were more hidden in between, read between the lines kind of thing. And after it was like, ah, <laughs> everything was being said out and open. Like, like people were just like tongues out, mouth open. Like, I think when you have more limitations, you push to be more artistic, definitely. So after I feel like there was more ranting than artfulness and how things were said. And after that, it balanced out again. People were trying to say something from their own self that was meaningful rather than just like running the first sprint. After five years of doing that, I wasn't really having my own practice and it started to itch. Like, I want to do something for myself. And I just started to attract from the project. And during that time, I got married and it was we were planning to move here to Oakland. So there were lots of identity changes for me, like being married, 
um, moving. I had so many more layers to who I was as a first perception of me, like brown, Arab, whatever, Muslim, all these things that I don't know people are getting, are reading or not. To walk in the world as someone who knows how people see her or sees her identity and knows exactly the negative connotations that are associated with that, that I have to like counter that constantly in my movements at the grocery store, walking into a store, um, being with my kids, I don't want to shout at them, they'll think I'm this kind of person, like just everything I do, I feel like I'm being watched. So anyway, identity has been like a hovering thing for me ever since I moved to the U.S., which was almost five years ago. When I was pregnant, I got really anxious because I, did, I didn't feel like I would have a place in the art world as a mom because I don't see many moms. And I was researching who's, a, who's an artist as a mom. And I, and I stumbled upon this video that of this one artist who was saying, it. you can't be an artist if you're a mom. You can't make good art if you're a mom. And at the same time, bombarded with this ideal vision of a mom and all this beauty and, and glowiness and slenderness and all these like perfection driven imagery of mom motherhood that was like very unrealistic for me in the beginning I was like okay when I'm a mom I'm gonna feel this or when I'm pregnant I'm gonna feel this glow or this beauty and I'm gonna feel so good but I wasn't feeling so good it was heavy and I I didn't eat the things I wanted to eat and I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. So I wasn't feeling that like amazingness when I was pregnant. And after that, I was like, I love my child, but it was hard. I didn't see much of that um, struggle and I didn't hear much of it. I felt like I was alone a lot of the time because am I the only one struggling with this? Why are all the images so beautiful and perfect and powdery pink with like puppies on white carpets? Like, <laughs> I'm like, there's, a, there's chaos in my life. And I feel like part of this project is receiving stories from moms. I put a, a call for moms to send me their photos and I would illustrate it for them. Uh, and part of that was reading their stories. It was so healing just to know that, wow, it's not just me, you know, even though I'm around lots of moms now and I do know that what I'm going through is normal. It's just to see that from all over the world, moms are still are struggling with the same issues and body image. Um, you know, everyone has their unique perspective, but in a way that's it's also universal. It's really important to represent this kind of motherhood, the, the real, the raw, the chaotic, and in a beautiful way, through art. So I think it's actually important for more of this to happen, more people to acknowledge this invisible motherhood energy that's in everyone's life, whether they like it or not, because uh, they're born from a mother, even if they don't have contact with their mother. You know, even if they're not a mother, they have mothers, they know mothers. So you're in constant contact with motherhood, Yet I feel as a mother, I was extremely invisible and my work was extremely invalued. I would always be asked, so what do you do besides that? I'm like, I can barely do that to begin with. I can barely do the whole motherhood thing to begin with. There's so much expectation, yet no acknowledgement of effort, no recognition, no credit. Mm -hmm. It's a very strange thing. It took me such a long time to be like, I'm a mom. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I'm not young. <laughs> but now I'm like, I'm a mom. It's okay. I can also, 
I'm whoever I am. It doesn't, in a way, the whole identity thing I was working with or struggling with, it got lifted because now I don't care. I just want to live. I just want to have my, my lunch. I just want to like make sure my kids are alive in the car seats, buckled, and then in their beds asleep. <laughs> and everything else doesn't matter. The motherhood uh, illustrated project, I feel like I'm exercising through it, exercising my skill, skill with materials and also my practice. Like how do I sit down and do things like just learning basics of how do I hold a brush again? How do I sit like discipline about that? So in the beginning, I was going to do line drawings, just the ink stuff. And, and now I'm doing more watercolor and the watercolor is getting super detailed and it's getting out of control for me. And it's taking me like a week, a week and a half for each one. It's it's taking way longer. I'm getting super sucked into the detail. I don't know if that's good or bad, but for now, I'm like um, going crazy. <laughs> It's been um, a big learning process with the technique of watercolor. I've been learning so much about it. You do it and then it settles however it wants to settle. And that's also a, a very telling of motherhood. Like, I want it to go this way, but it's going to go wherever it needs to go. It's going to settle. How, it doesn't settle really, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to go where it needs to go. And this lack of control is what motherhood has, has taught me so much. Like, you do what you can when you can. And most of the time you don't do what you want. The subjects I have, I had were things that lied around in my house, like a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> a scrub brush. So it started off like, I'm not going to think about my subject. I'm just going to do what's in front of me. I was having so much fun. It was so fulfilling, so satisfying, so good to have something to do beyond the kids and the house. And I think that led to the motherhood thing, because the most present function that for me as a person in this world now is motherhood. I'm mothering all the time. It's nonstop. <laughs> and, I, and I remember like when I was pregnant, I had so much anxiety because I was hoping to move here and start my art career and like find myself. And as soon as I came here, I got pregnant. So I was like, oh no, something's gonna take over. I don't know what it is. I don't know any mother artists. So I actually bought lots of mother mother artist books to, that had stories in them. And that really helped. It was kind of depressing though, because a lot of them would say, we have like three hours to work a day. And I'd be like, what? I need like 16 hours. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I remember being in a studio a while ago and this mom would come from nine to three and I'd be like, how do you ever do anything? How could you ever do anything in six hours? You're crazy. You're never going to get anywhere. And now I'm like, oh, I have an hour. What? That's crazy. Which I do. That's what I have in a day, really, with commuting, dropping off and rehabilitating myself after the morning chaos. It's really like an hour, hour and a half if I'm lucky. And after they sleep when I have zero energy. <laughs> What do you love about your studio? I like that it's in my house. <laughs> I like that I can make tea in my breaks and pee and change my clothes and check on my kids and rent, run to the store quickly and come back and not that being a big deal. I, I like the convenience of it. So do you paint while your kids are playing? 
Mm-mm. They'll never let you me do that. Check on, yeah, you should check on the kids. When they're sleeping, the of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I just like think about doing something or like holding a brush, my kid just want me to, wants me to carry her. Did they try to join you? Um, I think so. I think sometimes I, I make it a thing. I put Taha next to me, give him a piece of paper, paint, and it works for like 10 minutes. <laughs> 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 in Egypt mm -hmm. in the transition from open micing to designing and doing things. It was actually in a very interesting place called Darba Sabatashar Tamantoshar. It's a, it's, a, it's a potter's community and it's originally um, a poor area. A bunch of artists came together and set up an art gallery there and my friend has a studio there and I would come I would go work with her. It's a, it's a very it's a very interesting space. I don't think there's many artist communities But the ones that are there are really interesting and multi multi class. Um, you know how like there's racial stuff here. There's class issues in Egypt. So to have a multi class complex is kind of a, a rarity. So it was, it's nice to work side by side with people who have different backgrounds to you and to learn from them because most of them don't go to school or don't continue school. So they have actually much better grasp of their skill than most people who do go to school because they practice more. Things are changing in Egypt. Like This is a bigger conversation, but people that I grew up with are very much um, trying to distance themselves from, from religion. So they're actually like trying to represent themselves more as Westerners. So you wouldn't actually know the difference except from, the, from how they look from their skin. Mm -hmm. But generally, people in Egypt are very modest, very conservative. Actually, they look more modest than they are because it's um, a cultural norm to cover your hair and, and younger people are, tend to dress like more tight or most girls cover their hair even though they wouldn't um, if they traveled. People have, I would say, moved away from it being as a religious thing to a social thing. I actually started wearing a head covering like five years ago. I wasn't, I didn't grow up with it. None of my family do it. My social circle disapproves actually of it because it does represent that conservative dark, uneducated aspect of religion. But for me, it was it was a calling, and I don't know exactly the source, and it was very hard for me to come out, actually. And I feel like I haven't actually come out because I don't want to get questioned because I feel like it was such a cerebral decision. It was not cerebral, like a visceral decision. Like, I don't actually know why, but this I will eventually know why. Because if there's one thing I knew I wasn't going to do, it was to cover my hair. Never. And then it just it happened. <laughs> and, I, and it's been, like, very difficult and amazing at the same time. Like, it's very difficult to walk with an identity. And it is difficult in Egypt in my social circles. And it's also difficult here because suddenly I'm, I, I represent so much more than who I am. People that expect me to be ignorant or violent or whatever the news is saying these days, right? I feel like I have to dis disprove people all the time. I, I'm extra smiley sometimes. Like, I try to speak to my kids in English in a very sweet tone, even though I don't always want to be sweet with them, you know? <laughs> I'm a normal person. <laughs> I want to scream at them sometimes. <laughs> I love my religion. I love everything it brings. The more I learn about it, the more I just feel so comfortable having guidelines and having healing outlets and knowing that everything is actually normal. Everything I'm going through is normal and that there are ways to deal with this. So, but the covering was not a religious... 
It was. It was. It was. It was a religious decision, and that was the hardest part of it. Of this religious Yeah, and it's been great for me. It's it's been as I said difficult because it's like the identity part, and I've always seen myself as beautiful, and people have always complimented my looks, my face, my hair, my body. I consider them still beautiful, but suddenly like it's not accessible, and. I'm not being affirmed in the world in a way. Like I had to tell Matas, you know, you have to tell me I'm beautiful way more now because I'm not getting that. My email is mlquesny, M-E-L-Q-U-E-S-S-N-Y at Gmail. And welcome back from Miriam Questney's kids' bedroom. I'm so glad that you could join us. It was very soft and fluffy. It was so soft and fluffy. It was really <laughs> awesome girl time. It was so much fun talking to her. And her Instagram handle is stay at home artist. Stay underscore at underscore home underscore artist. And you should really check out that account because it's been a while since we interviewed her and she's got some really interesting changes happening. It's a baby. She had another baby. Yay! It's super cute. Josephine, what do we have next on the program? Next is the beautiful online thing of the week. So for today, our beautiful online thing is the Museo Larco Erotic Gallery. Josephine, could you please open up a private a private browsing window? <laughs> no, it can be public. This is this is art. And go to www.museolarco.org. That's M-U-S-E-O-L-A-R-C-O.org. All right. Okay, and when you get there, if it's in Spanish, um, you may choose to translate to English in the top right-hand corner. And then um, as you scroll down, you'll see the erotic gallery. Under ex- the experience. Yeah, so just go to erotic gallery and you will see a beautiful online thing. It looks like these um, ancient sculptures of like, yeah, people doing erotic things. <laughs> or animals doing erotic things. It's <laughs> yes. wonderful. I'll just read to you a little bit from the description of it. It says, This exhibition enables us to better understand the worldview of the societies of ancient Peru. It also goes on to say that in pre-Columbian art, we find depictions of what they call non-reproductive sexual acts, such as anal sex, fellatio, and masturbation. And supposedly, according to them, these ritual sexual practices serve to symbolically link the world of the living with the world of the dead. Wow. Isn't that why we all do those things? Um. Are you are you there right now? I'm I'm still I'm still there. Yeah yeah I'm uh, I'm looking at it. What are you looking at? The interactive map, but I don't tr- I actually don't dare to like click on on anything because. Um... <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I'm afraid like music will start to play and then the recording <laughs> will be like completely like. No, there's oh, no, no but... music. There's no music. That's that's no, perfect. No that's, that's But the, honestly, I mean, the sculptures are quite beautiful. They are very beautiful. And it's true that there are a lot of like death, sex combination figures here. We have one, it's like a skeleton with a very mm-hmm. large erection um, that was also a spout. Romans also painted like very erotic scenes, but that's something that gets pushed back. Like in art history, not a lot of people talk about it. Really? 
Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I feel like that's all people in art history talk. I don't know. Oh, really? I feel like the Romans and the Greeks and their, like, supposedly erotic pottery, it's, like, mostly just, like, rape and pedophilia and... Not, not like this. This is like ancestors coming to masturbate so that they can fertilize the earth. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. This is better. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing this with me. And us. Not only me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. No, but this is nice. Josephine, who are we going to have a crush on in the next episode? In our next episode, we will have a crush on Elle Sophie Sara. Oh, yes. Elle Sophie Sara is a Sami reindeer herder and choreographer and filmmaker. She's amazing. She lives in the Arctic, just like me. And she is possibly the most beautiful person you will ever meet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you want to get a head start on your crush, find her on Instagram at Elle Sophie. That's E-L-L-E-S-O-F-E. Or you can read a bit about her on our website, which is artcrushinternational.com. That's our show. Send us some love by subscribing. Please rate and review. Follow us on Instagram at artcrushinternational. That's artcrush underscore international. And you can always get some extra behind-the-scenes goodies in our newsletter at artcrushinternational.com. Big thanks to Thes Bernalet for designing our website and then to Wim Burdens for composing our theme song. And thanks to Gregory Sharpen and Chris Hall at KALX Berkeley for their mentorship and support. We love you guys. Okay. Well, bye. Bye. Yeah, bye. 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 bye.